Welcome to Crosslink Community Church Podcast, where we prize Jesus, make disciples, and love people well. We are so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe you will be more acquainted with the heartbeat of God through today's message. Good morning. I know it was a late OSU game, but it was over by like first quarter. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, man, it's good to be here. You? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. We uh, we started a series, um, a new series. A series is called Grateful. Um, this series is going to take us through the month of November. Uh, will allow us to kind of dive into uh, a couple different psalms um, that I hope either the uh, the psalm itself or what we kind of um, drill out of the song will we'll, we'll give you and I a heart of gratefulness. Um, as we enter into a season that uh, sometimes is up and down for people, that sometimes is good for some, not so good for others, as we enter into Thanksgiving and Christmas, that, that we at least know, no matter what's going on around us, uh, no matter what's going on within us, that we have a reason to be grateful because our gratefulness is tied to, it's tethered to the perfect, final, finished work of Jesus Christ. And if if all if all we get right in this room, if all if all we get is that we have found redemption in Jesus, God has been good to us, and and we can then celebrate the goodness of God. We can, we can sing about his faithfulness, but what is important though, if I could, if I could say this, is that how, how do we still then navigate those feelings and emotions and struggles that we all go through? Uh, how, how then, because I get it, like there's this disconnect, if I could, between the mind and the heart. Like, you know it, right? Like, there's, there's, there's moments where um, we, we could sing about and talk about the goodness of God, and you comprehend it, you understand it, you could point to scriptures that speak about it, but in your heart, you don't feel it. You ever been there? Where there's this disconnect between what you have in Jesus and where you currently are. And I, and I think that most people find themselves here. I would, I would argue oftentimes it's because um, I, don't, I don't think that we uh, value or strive for God's words enough. Uh, and I think if we're a community that kind of drills down deep into what God has for us through his words, I think it begins to change our, our perspective, our hearts, um, and then how we navigate this world. Or me a Psalm 40. I don't know if I told you that. This is uh, one of my favorite psalms. I think I said, I, I listened to my message last week. I, I said the same thing. Uh, this one is, though. I didn't lie last week, but this one is uh, one of my favorites. <laughs> um, mainly because it, it's kind of gotten me through a couple difficult times of my life. Uh, and uh, I, think, I think a lot of people may have a psalm or a, a part of scripture that kind of got them through some moments. Um, psalm 40 for me personally and in ministry uh, was, was very um, uh, helpful, right? And so, so what we're going to do, I'm just going to read a little bit, and then we're going to talk about it, and read a little bit more and talk about it, and then be done. Simple. Ready? Okay, Psalm 40, verse 1, this is what it says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined, inclined and heard me. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Um, the first thing that I believe that this implies, if, if I could, um, is that David, at some point in his life, uh, is struggling. And in his struggle, his kind of response to that is to cry out to God. 
not only to cry out to God, but to wait for him to answer. Because I know for me, and you, you can ask my wife, she will testify to this. I, I, I am not good at waiting. I think most men in this room also, are you good? Are you patient? Would you be defined by patience? That was loud. Uh, no, uh, we're not good at waiting. In fact, if I could, uh, I, didn't, I didn't get permission to, to share this, but I'm going to share it anyways. Um, uh, when, when my wife and I first met at college, uh, <laughs> we uh, started dating, and we, we are two different people when it comes to um, uh, being somewhere on time. I'm, I'm a guy that's like, if you're going somewhere, you're there like 15 minutes, at least 30 minutes, maybe early. Um, my family, if my family has a family dinner and it starts at noon, everyone's there at 1130, 11:30, ready to go. And, and it, it was my wife or my, not my wife, my mom, it's weird. Uh, my mom, my mom or dad would call us if my wife and I were going to that family dinner, like, and it's 1135, like, Hey, where you guys at? I'm like, mom, doesn't start till noon. You know, we'll be there at 12, 15, right? And so that's, that's how this works. Um, so I, I kind of, I was raised in a way where you show up early. My wife, on the other hand, um, she was raised in a way where they show up when they get there. And we, we come together. And, and, and a couple of the things that, that caused some friction in our marriage was always like being, being on time. And, uh, but I remember, um, so when we, we met, I was staying in Beta Dorm in Grace College, and she was, she was an alpha. And uh, I know you, this means nothing to you, but I'm going to explain. Uh, when we were going to go out, I would go to Alpha to, to pick her up, and we would we'd go somewhere, either somewhere off campus, or we'd go you know, find dining downstairs in the cafeteria, either way. Uh, and and I, would, I would get there, and, and they had, you know that plastic furniture that, uh, that you have in like hospitals? Like, that's what we had when I went to college. And I was always disappointed because I would go there, show up on time, expecting to wait for another 15, 30, 45, few, few minutes. And, um, and I would sit on this plastic furniture. Well, someone figured it out. Because when we would go back and visit several years later, 10 plus years later, you walk into Alpha and there's recliners and comfortable couches and televisions. I'm like, they figured it out. You know how many guys came over here and sat on this plastic furniture waiting for date, right? Figured it out. I don't wait well, right? I'm just gonna be honest. If I am in a drive-thru, I want my food immediately. Anyone else? It intensifies. It exposes or maybe it reveals more of who we are when we're in stressful times and we're waiting. When things are difficult, and we're waiting. And what this text implies to you and I is that as David was in a difficult, stressful, frustrating, hard moment, he waited patiently. For you and I, I, I imagine that we try to figure things out first. We either get ourselves in a problem, find ourselves in a problem, and we have enough intellect or skill sets or we just talk too much to figure out how to get out of it. And so we try and we try and we try, and it seems like our last resort is, okay, God, I've made a mess of this. Now I'm w willing and waiting for you to fix it. But that's last resort. And I think the process here is that David's like, listen, I'm in a difficult situation. It's tough. It's hard. In fact, he's going to define it. Ready? Verse 2. He drew me up from this pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Um, pit of destruction, I think, is a good translation. Some of you, depending on what you use, it could um, say desolation, uh, despair. The actual meaning behind this word is uh, roaring. So, so it's almost like you're in this pit where it's loud and there are all these things coming against you or washing over you and you can't seem to breathe. Anyone know a pit like that? Some of it is just in your head. 
I didn't mean that as an insult. I'm just saying like, we have so many things going on inside of our heads that if we're in a stressful situation, it is a pit of despair where we'll start to spiral out of control quickly because we have all of these things coming at us inside of our minds and it's consuming. It causes depression. It causes anxiety. It causes isolation. It's not defined as a pit because you're just walking along your way and you fall into a pit. It's defined as a pit because as you wrestle with all these things, you put yourself further and further away from community and find yourself isolated in a pit. This is a natural response for humanity. And so he's in this pit of destruction in this miry bog. And instead of trying to compile a ladder to get out, he's waiting. Once again, I think we distract ourselves in trying to climb out when the response is to wait. You ever try to tell someone to wait in their discouragement? That doesn't go well. Just just wait for a moment. Be still. For how long? I don't know. Until he answers. How do I know he answers? I don't know. Be still. Well, I don't want to be still. This is too much. I can't, I don't know. Let me, I'll fix it. Okay, good luck. And what ends up happening is that we dig ourselves deeper into this pit and then finally say, okay, please help me. Um, and oftentimes we're asking God to help us out of a situation that we put ourselves in. Are we not? Um, so when I said that Psalm 40 was very pivotal or important for me in ministry and in a personal way. Uh, Ministry-wise, for a season, we were doing youth ministry in Florida. No, no, no. It was when we were doing youth ministry in Ohio. Uh, And um, we came to this text, Psalm 40, and it became our prayer for youth ministry. Because what we started to notice Um, This would have been between um, 2010 to 2016, around there. What we were noticing is that teenagers were being swallowed up by culture. Like they were being dragged further down into a pit of despair and destruction. And so often they didn't know. And so we'd we'd stand before teens and tell them, hey, don't listen to those voices. Don't go down that pathway. In fact, if you keep walking this direction, what's going to happen is you're going to fall in this pit. I know it because I see it. You don't see it because they're trying to blind you from it. So don't go this direction. And so we're this voice of reason trying to preach and teach the grace, mercy, and rest of the Lord to teenagers who are being distracted and falling into pits left and right. And so we came to this text and we're like, here's what we've realized is that we'll continue to be that voice. But if anything is going to change the hearts and minds of teenagers, it's going to be if God gets involved. So as leadership, we can't can't force this thing. So so like David, we came alongside of him and started to, to pray, okay, God, we can't fix the direction and the trajectory that our culture is taking teenagers. So here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna pray. We're gonna wait patiently for you to pull them out of this pit. And so our ministry became about praying for God to be the deliverer, not us. Because when we were the deliverance, People would follow Jesus for a little bit because they had relationship with us, but when we kind of stepped to the side, they would flounder. And so we said, as a leadership team for for youth ministry, this is our prayer. God, will you you pull these teenagers out of the clinches of this culture? And I wish I could say, Um, that we don't need to pray that anymore. But I still believe this should be a constant prayer for every parent in this room. Because parenting is patiently waiting. Is it not? Patiently waiting for God to aid and help and assist you in the raising of your children? I, I think... I think we can resonate with that. 
But let me show you this. Um, this part, he drew me out of the pit of destruction, out of a miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So didn't just rescue him. Says, okay, here you go. But he secured him. I love that about God. I don't know about you. I love that God doesn't just rescue us, but he secures us. That he rescues you and I, and he sustains you and I. And so he rescues David out of this um, pit of destruction, out of this miry bog, and he places him on a rock, making his steps secure. Um, so on a personal level, this psalm um, was very important to me. And I've, I shared um, this kind of story in full, so I'm going to um, kind of abbreviate it a little bit. Um, I had a friend. My friend was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Uh, it devastated him because he was very, very young. He was, uh, I forget his age, maybe 35, somewhere around there. Um, and this cancer was uh, like 28 tumors in his leg. Um, all the cancer was in his leg. And uh, the doctor said, here's, here's the diagnosis. This cancer will more than likely take your life in five years. And so he called me, he says, Jeremy, can you come over? I'm like, yeah, I'll be there in a moment. Drove to his house, we sat there, and, uh, and we talked, and we cried, and we prayed. Uh, and like, I'm, I'm a crier. I think you guys know that. Um, I watch Tinkerbell and I'll cry, I'm gonna be honest. It's just saying, what it, like, I am, I am an emotional dude, I just cry. And so uh, I can walk into a room in the middle of a kind of, moment and cry immediately. I don't know what it is about me. It's God wired, miswired some things. I don't know. Either way, I'm with him and we're crying as we walk through this and praying that, that God would, uh, God would take this cancer. I believe God is a great physician. I believe that he can still move that way. Uh, then we prayed, we prayed. He went, he went back, um, to the doctor, and uh, the, uh, the doctor said um, that the cancer or the tumors have not decreased. Um, so he was like, we'll go through um, chemo and radiation. So they started chemo and radiation. The problem is um, one of the things that he wrestled with was he had two boys or two girls at the time. Um, and if he went through chemo and radiation because of the proximity of um, the, the tumors, it would make him sterile. And he always wanted to have a boy. He wants his, the, his name to carry out like he wanted a boy. And so he's like, Jeremy, I don't, I don't know what, what to do. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm here for you. I'll pray with you. Um, so he decided to go through the chemo and radiation. Chemo and radiation happened. Uh, a few months later, he goes back. At that time, I moved away. So we were in Dayton at the time. I moved to Steubenville. Uh, he ca calls, um, says, hey, Jeremy, I just got back from the, the doctors. This is what they said, um, that the cancer has not spread throughout my body. The chemo and radiation has taken care of that, um, but the tumors are still in my, my leg and, and they're not, they have not moved or gone anywhere. So he's like, they gave me an option to be cancer-free. And he says, what they'll do is they'll amputate my leg from my hip down. Hmm. So what are you going to do? He's like, uh, I think I'm going to do it. I was like, you tell me when it is and we'll be there. And so he told me it was in Cincinnati. We lived in Steubenville. Another friend of ours who was in Dayton, we drive to, uh, uh, to Cincinnati. Um, and I go upstairs before he goes into surgery. And he had both of his legs. And I pray with him and I talk with him. And then I go downstairs. The surgery, we're down there for four hours. We're in the chapel. Four hours in this chapel praying. I'll be honest with you. I was a little frustrated, a little angry um, with what God was doing. Like, what's, what's going on here? You say, with faith, we have faith. We've been praying, 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 believing, believing, believing what's going on. And so um, it was this moment where as I was kind of walking and praying in this chapel during this surgery, um, God brought to mind Psalm 40. And at that time, I was not as familiar with it as I am now. And so I'm like, okay, so I had my Bible with me. I opened it up and I read. I waited patiently for the Lord. Oh, this is making, this is good. This is good right here. He inclined to me and heard my cry. This is exact, God, this is what I need. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. And I'm, I'm reading through this, just kind of taking this all in. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Yes, please, pull, pull my buddy out of this pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. And then he set my feet upon a, feet? God, you brought me to a text 
It talks about feet. In that very moment, I read this text and I got angry. I said, why in the world would you, and this is what I said, I'm just going to be very frank. Why would you take me to a text that talks about fleet, feet as in plural? As you're allowing my friend to have his leg amputated. You want me to celebrate now? You know that God's big enough for your frustration and anger? And so, as I was in the midst of my tantrum, I'm, I'm very careful. Uh, there's people who say that thus says the Lord. I'm very careful with this because I think it's dangerous. But what I'll say is I felt a prompting. I felt a tug. I felt, I felt a small, heard a small whisper. And this is what it said. The rock that Chris will stand on, he doesn't need both those legs to stand there. I have him secured. You see, I was, I was blinded by the, the physical when God was very much active in the spiritual. And he reminded me, he says, I got him. He's secure on this rock. He doesn't need both those legs. He got his legs. So to, to finish out some of the, the story, um, after he had that amputation a couple months later, we all met at Tim Hortons in Huber Heights, Ohio, and we sat there for donuts and coffee. And uh, it was like 7 a.m., too early for donuts and coffee, but we were there. And it was me, Chris, uh, and another friend of mine. And and uh, Chris had his, he had no leg, came in on, on crutches. And we're sitting there, we're having, we're having coffee and donuts, talking. And Chris looks at me and he says, Jeremy, man, I hope you go through something like this sometime. I said, I don't, I don't think you're supposed to say that to someone. I don't No, He's like, no, you, Jeremy, you don't understand. God knew what he was doing. Because him taking my leg reminded me of life I had. He said he took something away from me, but he gave me everything. The, the, the understanding of who God is and his grace and his mercy has ever exploded in my life. I, yes, lost something, but I gained everything. And so God took him through this journey that had his leg removed, but his love and pursuit for Jesus and spreading of the gospel, a new song put in his mouth, kind of created everything. And so if I could finish the psalm that um, God brought to my attention there, this is what it says. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And for Chris, he was ever expressing what God did through this moment and how God put a new song in his mouth. And he began to share all of this with us as my friend and I were sitting there at Tim Hortons, drinking coffee, eating donuts, and just being moved by this the entire time. He was having this conversation. And there might have been some crying going on. I don't know. There was this dude who worked for Tim Hortons uh, who was mopping the floor next to us the entire time. Now, I don't know about you. I got a little indignant. I don't know if you've ever walked on a wet floor with crutches. Not easy. And so I'm thinking to myself, bro, you just let this floor dry? We are going to leave eventually. And my buddy has crutches. Like, that's what I was saying. I was getting upset. So we end up leaving. We go outside, Chris gets to his car, I get to mine, we say goodbye, I drive away. About 15 minutes later, I get a phone call. It's Chris. He says, Jeremy, uh, hey, do you remember that guy that was mopping next to us on the table, or by the table? I say, yeah, I like it too much. He's like, well, while he was mopping, I kind of felt that he needed to talk. And so my buddy with one leg got back out of his car, walked back across the parking lot, back into the store, up to a person he's never met before and said, hey, I felt like you needed to talk. And in that moment, that invitation, that new song that was put in Chris's mouth that he then shared, this guy says, yes, my life is unraveling. It's been hard. And I just wanted to listen to what you guys were talking about because it was giving me hope. 
Don't tell me that walking through, delivering from a pit, being placed on a rock, given a new song, doesn't present hope for those who are also struggling. Don't, listen, what God brought him through kind of strengthened my faith and it encouraged those around him. And it took the guy with one leg to do it. Um, I, I tell him all the time, this was a story that I used when I would teach classes in prisons. I was like, listen, in case you ever go to prison, you're safe. Just say you're that guy with the one leg that Jeremy talked about. They got your back. But it's inspired men who have lost things to move forward. Oh, and just to finish the story, he calls me up later, says, hey, just want to let you know we're having a baby boy. Because doctors may know something, God knows everything. And it may look impossible, it's not. And God still is faithful in what he does. Listen, um, I believe that those who have been pulled out of a pit who've been pulled out of a pit, who understand redemption, it leads to singing, fearing, and trusting. In fact, I'll be honest, I refuse to do ministry with someone who's not been pulled out of a pit. Because until we've been pulled out of a pit, I don't think we understand the fullness of God's grace and mercy. If you've been able to avoid every pitfall, then what ends up happening is you tend to look down on people who are in a pit. How'd you get there again? <laughs> I would help you, but you'll just end up in the next one. I think once we realize that we find ourselves in a pit, oftentimes ones that we've created and we've been pulled out of it, that the response is a new song, a song of praise and that many will see and fear and then put their trust in the same Lord that rescued you. This is, this is why you're celebrating, you're rejoicing in the midst of trials and tribulations. Your praising matters. But let's continue. That was only three verses. We have more to go. <laughs> verse, verse four. These ones won't take us long. Don't worry, we're good. Blessed is the name, man. Blessed is a man who makes the trust in his Lord who does not run to the proud to those who go astray after a lie. This verse just underscored the unfortunate reality of what we tend to do today. And that is, instead of running to the Lord, instead of trusting in the Lord, we turn to those systems or people who think life can be done without the Lord. And then we fall victim to the lies that say it's possible. This is what he says. Listen, here's what you need to know. You want to know what wisdom looks like? You want to know what it means to walk out this life through God's grace and mercy? It is putting your trust in him and him only. It doesn't where you put your trust in anything else, it will fail you. Anyone? Or you know what's scarier? If I can say this, you putting your trust in something else and it hasn't failed you yet. I think that's more terrifying because now you have a false hope that whatever it is your trust is in will pay out. It won't. The whole book of Colossians, which we went through, is Paul telling the church of Colossae, don't put your trust in Rome. Rome will fall and fail. Did Rome fall and fail? Yeah. If we put our hope or trust in anything else, if we put our hope and trust in anything else, we will then attach ourselves to those lies that say this is possible, and it is not. The only, the only one who won't fail, the only one who won't falter, the only one who should be trusted is the Lord. And yet we turn to ourselves, we turn to other people, we turn on the voices that sound like ours and trust them. And this psalmist David is saying, no, listen, it's not going to work. 
verse five. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Um, not only is singing, fearing, and trusting the response of someone who's been rescued and redeemed, but also remembering and reflecting. David, David's just sitting here. It's, it's almost like he's having a cup of coffee. If you don't like coffee, tea, if you don't like any of those, I don't know what you do. But you sit down with a hot cup of coffee and you're just reflecting and remembering on how faithful God has been over the years. You ever, you ever take that moment? Let me tell you how powerful this is. Our culture understands the power of rem remembering and reflecting. If you're on Facebook, you're scrolling through your feed, what happens? Memory pop-up? This is what you were doing 11 years ago. Well, I need to get rid of that. <laughs> like, there's, there's memories that pop up. I, I don't like social media at all. At all. Uh, I've been honest. But I, on my, my OneDrive for my photos, like, it gives me reminders every day of photos that I took 10 years ago on that day. Why does, why does technology do that? Because the way God wired you and I is to remember and reflect, and culture understands that. And so what they want to do is pull you in to remember and reflect, to keep you connected. So what I will say is that maybe what we need to do is remember and reflect all the more on God's wondrous deeds so we can stay connected to him. Because it seems like that's the reality here. David just, man, you have multiplied, oh Lord, my God, your wondrous works. And then your thoughts towards us? I don't even understand. Like when I think about your grandeur and your greatness and, and then your thoughts towards us, none can compare to, with you. None. And I will proclaim and tell them yet they are more than can be told. I, I would challenge you to remember and reflect more. To think about what it is that God has done. Look at verse six. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Um, verse 7, then um, I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. Now, this has a twofold meeting that I'm going to share with you. Um, here, here's the first one. Uh, when David says, in sacrifices and offerings, you have not delighted. Um, it's strange because God's the one who created that process, that system. So to say he's not delighting in that, there's something deeper going on there. And what he's meaning is that vain actions do nothing. To go through the process of the sacrifices and the offerings with a divorced heart from God means nothing. The people got accustomed to just walking through the traditions, the uh, uh, the kind of everything that God set up through the law. They got accustomed to just walking through that with a heart divorced from God. And God would say later, hey, you serve me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so as we walk through this, David's like, listen, these, these vain actions mean nothing to you. But what you do love says here in verse 8, what you do appreciate is those who delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is written 
within my heart. Um, can, we, can we talk for a moment? This is an interesting verse to me. Would you wake up in the morning tomorrow and say this phrase, whatever it is, God, whatever, whatever it is, I delight to do your will. So my question is this. One, would you pray that and say that? Two, would you then listen, even if it is different than your plans for the day? I think we don't pray things like this because we don't want to listen to the answers. If we don't pray for it, then we have to worry about it coming. But I wonder, like I said last week, when it says that uh, he loves God's rules and laws, this week, the same thing, I think we need to read through and pray over verse 8 over and over again until it comes true in our own lives. God, I, I delight, I delight to do your will. I, I want to do your will. I hunger to do your will. There's been this debate for centuries. Uh, those who fall on the free will side, those who fall on the not free will side. A healthy debate of no concern here this morning. What I will say is once you have given your life to Jesus Christ, once you have said yes to, to Jesus, there's no debate about free will anymore because what we're called to is to lay down our will and pick up his. We lay down our voice and pick up his voice. We lay down our agenda and pick up his agenda. I think the reason why we've debated about free will for so long is because it distracts us from when we do give our lives to Jesus, how we're supposed to live out his will now. So we just get tied up back here, we'll never move forward here. And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell you this, as a believer in the room, it is impossible for you to circumvent God's will for your life. What will happen is it will be a little bit more difficult and create a lot more havoc in your life depending on which way you go. If you don't believe me, exhibit A, Jonah. Jonah tried to circumvent God's will. We know what God's will was, go to Nineveh and preach. Did he go to Nineveh and preach? Yeah. How'd he get there? Don't look at the long way. Yeah. Yeah, the disgusting way too, if we we're honest. Like, I don't think it was pleasant. Sir, he tried to circumvent God's will. It, it didn't work out. See, here's the thing. As believers, we tend to try to circumvent God's will uh, and what God planned is still going to happen. We just carry around some more damage and some more pain and walk through some more difficult situations than we could have originally walked through. Anyone ever experienced that? You look back now, you're like, God, I should, have, I should have listened a little bit more and talked a lot less. Because what we are called to do as believers is to delight in God's will. To long to do God's will. And that's hard for us. But I, I said this was twofold. Because it's, it's also not simply about us perfectly delighting in God's will. Here's why. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Hebrews 10. It's not going to go up on the screen. So if you want to see it, turn to Hebrews 10. I want to show you where this psalm was also quoted. I think, it, I think it matters in that context to see what the writer of Hebrews was telling us. And I know you're like, we're going back to Hebrews. I'm like, yeah, so? <laughs> we didn't do 10, so we're going to go back to 10, all right? Here we go, 10. This is what it says. Um, we'll start in verse uh, 3. Hebrews 10, verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder um, of sins every year. Uh, let me, let me, let's go back. I, I just want to give the full context. Verse 1. Let's do whole. All of 10. We're, I'm just kidding. 
Hebrews 10, verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true from these realities, um, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So what he's saying is that the old system set up wasn't perfect and it wasn't going to do the job. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of goat, <laughs> for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but my body you have prepared for me, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you take no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus is letting you and I know that the fulfillment. Psalm 40 that we just read was found in Jesus. Meaning that you and I only have the ability to delight in God's will because Jesus perfectly walked out God's will. And so what hinges, what, what is hinging our relationship with God is not if I wake up tomorrow morning and delight to do God's will, but even if I don't delight to do God's will, that I can wake up and trust him that Jesus fulfilled God's will. That he every day woke up delighting in God's will. I don't, I think we've been in church too long to not get excited that our relationship with God hinges on Jesus. And that the only reason why I even have the power to say I delight in God's will is because Jesus' example and encouragement and power through his spirit gives me the words to do so. Because how many of us in this room would confess that we have struggled to do God's will? So then you're in flux. You're like, well, am I out? Like, is, is there a path I missed? Like, do I need to go back? Like, what do I, what do, I do? Well, I think the, the direction has always been Jesus. He walked out God's will perfectly. And so now as a believer, I just want to pray, God, give me more delight and understanding to do your, your will. Let's finish as uh, Sierra makes her way forward. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. And behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the con congregation. He once again is reminding them the response of a redeemed person is to speak about the faithfulness and the salvation of God. It's a natural reaction. Our mission statement up here is to prize Jesus, make disciples love well. The reason why we have said that is because if you prize Jesus, if you value Jesus, if you rightly know Jesus, you'll naturally talk about Jesus. You talk about what you love. For David, he is in love with the Lord and because of the Lord's rescuing and redeeming, he is nonstop talking about his faithfulness and his salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Look at this though. As for you, O oh Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever Preserve me. Why? Why does he say that now? Because the way it started was, I waited patiently. You heard my cry. You pulled me out of this pit. Put my feet upon a rock. Like you, you, This is how it started. So he's rescued from a pit, but now it's transitioning into, it sounds like there's some still 
struggles going on. So what he needs to know is it's not in his ability to preserve him. It's in God's ability to preserve him. Because look at this, verse 12. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. You just delete them as friends on Facebook. He couldn't do that. (laughs) He has people surrounding him that hate him. People out to get him. And there's more than he could count. And then he says, my iniquities have overtaken me. And I cannot see. This is why, like, I argue that it seems like David was a bit bipolar. Because when you read through this psalm, it seems like it goes from deliverance, thank you. You're amazing. You're awesome. All these evils encompass me. My iniquities overtaken me. I cannot see. Maybe to show you and I, as sometimes this is what life looks like. Just us hanging on to the promises of God. And when we get tired of hanging on, he's hanging on to us. So when you're in moments where your iniquities overtake you, his steadfast love and his faithfulness will preserve you. When you're too blind, you can't see because of everything around you, his love and his faithfulness will preserve you. Look at what he says. They are more than the hairs of my head. Which for some of us isn't much, but for others it's more. My heart fails me. It's good to know that. Did you, did you know that? Your heart will fail you. We put a lot of stock in our heart. God will never fail you. Jesus will not fail you. Your heart will. David's experienced that. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those who put to shame and disappointment all together who seek to snatch away my life, let, let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those who are appalled because of their shame, who say to me, aha, aha. Verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad. I love that he says that in a season that seems like things are difficult. So once again, whether you've been rescued, you seek him, you delight to do his will, you praise him, or whether you're still in the pit waiting to be rescued, guess what? You seek him, you pursue, rejoice, and be glad. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. I'm just just gonna end with verse 17. Uh, I find it to be beautiful. Um, As for me, I am poor and needy. Now, do you remember who the author is? David. We don't know exactly when he was writing this, where he was at. Was he being chased? Was he not king? Was he anointed as king, but still not king yet? Was he being chased by Saul? Was he actually king? Was this when his sons were kind of creating problems? Like, what was going on in this time? What we do know is that David was anointed, and David became king, and David had prestigious place in the kingdom. But as he identifies right now, he says that that here's where I'm at. I am poor and needy. But at the lowest of the low, God takes thought for me. I, I, I love that he says that the lowest of the low, God still takes or has thoughts for. 
For, for you and I, it, it means that we can accomplish nothing on our own and anything we do accomplish, if it fails and falls apart, guess what? God still has thoughts for you. He, he's still willing to preserve you. Maybe again and again, you have turned to the proud. Maybe you've been the proud. Either way, as you see what God has done through Jesus Christ, he still considers you and I. Yeah, I love, I love that God is in the, in the rescuing business and the preserving business. I love that we can read a Psalm like Psalm 40 and it go through this up and down emotions of what God is up to. But what it reminds you and I is that if he is involved, redemption, salvation, and rescuing is always offered. So we're going to sing a song here. I don't know if you're in a pit, if you're trying to listen to what it is that God is teaching you. I don't know if you are out of a pit, but it seems like based on this song that you and I have the ability to, while in the pit, praise, and while being rescued from the pit, we praise. It seems like that's a natural response for you and I. So I'm gonna ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. I don't know what God is taking you through, um, but we're gonna have people to my left and my right who will be up here to pray with you, for you. If what you need to do is just pray where you're sitting right now. This is, please do that. If, if you wanna sing with the song that Sierra's about to do, do that. If you just want to pray, God, help me to delight, to do your will. Man, I think that's a good prayer. Because I think, I think we delight in too many other things. Or maybe you just want to say thank you, Jesus, for doing God's will perfectly. So that through your death and resurrection, we can have hope, hope in life. Either way, whatever it is, it's our prayer that God moves you in this moment. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are, for what you do. Speak to us now. Use the words from this psalm to remind you and I of what you have done and what you are doing. Father, we love you. Thank you for listening to Crosslink Community Church Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.crosslinkchurch.com or join us in person on Sunday mornings at 1020 a.m. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message and share with a friend. Thank you again for listening.